Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Leela. And we, we are Both and. and. A podcast dedicated to giving a voice to the multiracial experience in America by discussing relevant topics in a safe place. Happy Multiracial Monday, everyone! Today we are talking about identity. And not just identity in and of itself, developing identity. Because I don't think we just were just born and here we are and that's it. As, as we are born, we are for the rest of life till we die. Nah, there's some development happening here. And what you may be surprised to know is that people of color, people of whiteness, and biracial people all develop their identities differently. Yeah. What yeah. is that about? <laughs> well, I think it goes back to the whole, like, whatever you want to call it, nature versus nurture, chicken versus the egg. I take a very both and approach in like nature and nurture, like genes and experiences help shape people. Oh yeah. And so it's unsurprising when you look at it that way that people of color, multiracial people and white culture mm-hmm. or white people develop differently. Mm-hmm. And their concept of who they are as a racial person are all different and they come to those conclusions in different ways cuz all of their experiences are different mm-hmm. and their genes are different. Yeah. And they come to them at different points of time Mm -hmm. like at different stages i need to find the article and we will tweet it out once i find it but i once read that people of color and white people realize their racial identity a way different phases in life white listeners you might be able to chime in on this but um the article said if you're in the dominant culture you don't really recognize your racial identity until you were like 17 18 years old Mm -hmm. where people of color were realizing their racial identity at like five, six, like in their adolescence, like in that youth. Um, And I thought that was so interesting. But also as a biracial person, I identified with it Mm -hmm. because I remember, I think I was maybe six or seven and I was playing in my backyard, hanging out with the local neighborhood kids. Mm -hmm. We were all just like climbing on trees and whatnot. And all of a sudden this boy asked me, are you adopted? Oh. And I was like, what? And he's like, are you adopted because you don't look like your mom? And I remember that, like, moment of, like, yeah. why don't I look like my mom? What is this? And that begun yeah. <laughs> the, the process of coming to terms with my racial identity. So, yeah, if you're not in the dominant culture and it's not an otherness to you, mm-hmm. of course you wouldn't realize it till way later. Yeah. What are these, like, identity? We have some racial identity development models. Is that what these are? Yeah. We'll start with the white racial identity model, and there are six stages. Um, the first is called the contact stage, mm. and that's when individuals adhere to a colorblind motto. So they see racial differences, but don't find it salient, and they think that racism is propagated by discussion and acknowledgement of race as an issue. Mm-hmm. And so that's when we see colorblindness perpetuated, thinking that that's a solution. And this seemingly non-racist position can cover unconscious racist beliefs that aren't always meant to be malicious. Yeah. Um, it's just the fact that it's never really been addressed or explored before. And if the individual is confronted with different experiences that uncover privileges of being white, then they can move into the second stage. But which with is, that first stage, yeah. oh, can I just say that? Sure. So in that first stage, I'm not going to fault anybody for being there because that's like the baby stage. That's like 
just where you get started, you know, but it's not good to stay there. Actually, The Atlantic had um, an article called Color Blindness is Counterproductive. Yes. And it talks about so, uh, sociologists, how they argue that that ideology claiming to not see race ignores discrimination and hurts more people in the end. Yeah, there's a so. lot of research to support that color blindness is not the answer to racism. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the people who leave the room in the middle of an argument rather than finishing the argument. Mm-hmm. So in counseling, we talk all the time about what's called rupture and repair in relationships. And so mm-hmm. when conflict arises, there's a rupture. But mm-hmm. it's always important that you repair it. And that's what perpetuates growth and longevity in any relationship. Yeah. And so colorblind people are the ones who there's conflict, it's uncomfortable, and they just leave the room. Mm-hmm. But then they never finish the discussion. They never acknowledge who was hurt, whether both parties or a singular party, mm-hmm. what the root of the issue was. And so that's why colorblindness, a lot of research says in psychology, sociology, and counseling all say like it's it's unhelpful. Whether it's well-meaning or not, it's, mm-hmm. it's unhelpful because it stops the conversation rather than promoting and growing empathy and connection. Okay. So that, this is stage one though. That's stage one. So baby stage, we're not going to fault anybody for being there, starting there, but we want to move on to stage two, I assume? Yeah. And that's the disintegration stage. So when a person has new experiences that confront prior conceptions of the world, and now that this conception is challenged, the person is often plagued by feelings of guilt and shame. Sometimes people can channel these emotions in a positive way, Hmm. but when these feelings of guilt and shame continue to dominate them, they may move into the reintegration stage, which is stage three. Okay. So would a, a person in stage two, I could, I, I'm thinking of people I know yeah. and it's like when there are people who, when they get to this stage, they will seek more information and grow to learn and ask people of color or minority groups, their opinions, their experiences, and they want to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. But then I also know of people who get to this stage and just live in white guilt and that it would just be a hard place to be. I think personally, yeah. that's. Nobody should live in guilt or live in shame. No. You're called to a better life. <laughs> so yeah. um, so it's good to, I think it's good to identify that disintegration, that there are two paths to take there. You there can... are actually three paths. <gasps> so the first path is what you were talking about is that positive way when people get that information and try to learn and grow from their experiences. Mm-hmm. The second path is like the middle of the road when you just get stuck. and you stay in stage two feeling guilty and ashamed okay and then the third path is when you move into stage three what is stage three so stage three is reintegration and this is marked by a blame the victim attitude Mm -mm. and it's when people feel that whites do have privilege and it's probably because they deserve it and are in some Mm. way superior to minority groups And so this is where we see a big pendulum swing from being really passive and depressive of Mm -hmm. feeling guilty and ashamed to then becoming really aggressive. Okay. Okay. As bad as that sounds, it reminds me of some of my white family members. Yeah. I know they've been in that stage and knowing them and loving them, even as this sounds so aggressive i don't blame them for being there because i think it's a natural part of the process probably in this identity development and i think this it might be where biracial people or people of color maybe biracial people because if you're thinking like well i'm superior 
to people of color, you might need somebody who got a little bit of the mix to like come in and correct (laughs) you. Maybe, maybe, (laughs) maybe. Um, But I'm just thinking about conversations I've had where it's kind of gotten so tense that you ask question or somebody's asking question after question and then it just they explode with like well if black people weren't so bad like why are there so many of them in prison you know and like that's such a harmful question and a harmful mentality but like you can't leave somebody in that place right like you have to encounter them and get have your receipts ready and then jump into a conversation about institutional racism you know so I don't know. In this stage, I feel like as bad as it feels, I think it's it's probably just a necessary part of the growth and we need to help people through that growth stage. Which is why I find these models so helpful of recognizing these as stages and not just someone's personality or that's just the way they are. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, okay, this isn't the end-all be-all. There's places for them to go besides just being stuck here. Mm-hmm. That's true. And where do they go from here? Where do we go from reintegration? So if people are able to combat these feelings, then they can move on to stage four, which is the pseudo-independent stage. And this is the first stage of positive racial identification. Whoa! Yes, white people aren't evil. (laughs) You're not. Also, why did it it took all the way to stage four? (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) What a journey. Well, stage one is lots of just unconscious like not aware of race and so there isn't a positive or negative association and then stage two is really like ashamed and guilty and Mm -hmm. stage three is really aggressive okay and stage four is positive and so this is when individuals don't feel that whites deserve privilege so they look to people of color rather than themselves to confront and uncover racism and they uh, support these efforts and comfort minority people in in an attempt to be non-racist But so it's like, although they are recognizing there are power disparities and they're supporting non-racist movements, they're not participating. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like, I'm not the expert in minority culture, so let me turn to people of color Mm -hmm. and I will support them, but they don't feel like they can join the effort yet. Okay. That kind of reminds me of a Lyft passenger I had recently. Yes, I love your Lyft stories. <laughs> I do love lifting. Um, so if you guys don't know, Lyft is a ride share. <laughs> um, but I had a passenger. Granted, it was 2.30 a.m. Clubs oh, were gosh. closing. Uh, she was the only one awake of her drunk friends. And she was an amazing lady. I'm just going to give her the name Molly Smith, just a random name. And she... <laughs> Uh, just kept going in telling me about times she had stood up for people of color or like for example she had a Muslim driver one time Mm. who shared his experience of discrimination and she was like who was it tell me I'm gonna kick their ass like I'm going it like it was just so (laughs) ready to fight on behalf of people of color and like even when I dropped her off it was a 30 minute car ride but at the end she was like if you are ever messed with you tell people Molly Smith said no no, you're not going to mess with her. And I was like, oh my gosh, please get inside. You were very drunk. You spilled Parmesan <laughs> cheese all over my car. Aww. But thank you so much. Like, it, she just really genuinely cared <laughs> and was just ready to fight on behalf of people of color. Wow. So, yeah, I was very appreciative of her, her attitude, mm. the way she encountered the world. And, if I mean, how how much better could it get? Well, let me tell you. Stage five is the 
immersion and emersion stage. Mm-hmm. So this is when white people make a genuine attempt to connect to their own white identity and to be oh. anti-racist rather than non-racist. Okay. So your friend Molly was probably in stage five or six, actually. Wow. Go, Molly. And so stage five is when people are, feel a deep concern to understand and connect with other whites who are or have been dealing with issues of racism. Oh, that's and so, so important. it's when whites try to ally with other whites mm-hmm. to support anti-racist movements. Okay. Wow. So in stage four, they make minority allies. In stage five, they make white allies. Dang. And they're, that's a population of people that only white allies. There's like, a, I don't know how big the population is. I don't know. But there's a population that will only listen to other white people right and if they can get them started yeah on this identity development or push them Mm. up the stairs i don't know (laughs) that's amazing so then the last stage is called autonomy stage six and that's when individuals have a clear understanding of and positive connection to their white racial identity while actively pursuing social justice hmm That's very interesting. So this identity development model is all about finding positive racial identification with being white and becoming anti-racist. Okay. And so I love this model for those reasons exactly, Mm -hmm. of promoting positive white racial identity and knowing that, yeah, you have privilege and look at what you can do with it. Look at stages five and six or four when you can support and mobilize a minority cultures and people of color to fight for themselves and stand up. Yeah. Stage five to make allies with other white people and stage six to support both movements. Dude. And so using that privilege to support people while also understanding that like it's okay to mm-hmm. be white even if it is a dominant culture. Yeah. Because when you're absolutely. when you're fostering and developing your own identity while supporting the freedom and equality for others to develop their identity that's different than yours, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that in my book. No mine either. A disclaimer about these stage models is picture a staircase with six steps on it Mm -hmm. and people can choose to step on the staircase they can go up steps they can stay on one step and they also can go down so Mm -hmm. people will fluctuate between these stages and so just because like say you've reached stage four doesn't mean you can't go back to stage two or stage Mm -hmm. three and so i like all of your anecdotes when we were going through these of recognizing yeah there are people i love and care about across this entire spectrum of stages mm-hmm. yep. and recognizing the need to love and support people through it. Mm-hmm. And last week we talked about how as multiracials, we also need to ally with our white allies Yeah, and how that allyship doesn't just mean they're supporting us, mm-hmm. but we're also supporting them through their racial identity journey. Mm-hmm. And to know, like, I love what you said before about knowing that these are stages. It's not always somebody's personality. Yeah. That's, I think that's so important to help somebody up the stairs mm-hmm. or get on the staircase in general. Mm-hmm. So what does a person of color, what does their racial identity development look like? What, still six stages? Are they the same or? So it's still six stages and they're kind of parallel, but obviously not exactly because it's a different experience. Mm-hmm. So I picked to go over the black American racial identity scale because most multiracial research is focused on half black, half white mm-hmm. and then less so on other like double minority or 
half, white half Asian. For right now. For now. Hopefully, hopefully we get that research. So anyway, the people of color, the black American racial identity scale. So the first one is the pre-encounter scale. The first one is the pre-encounter stage, and that's when people of color absorb many beliefs and values of the dominant white culture, um, like the notion that white is right and black Mm. is wrong. And so there's a de-emphasis on one's racial group membership, and they're largely unaware of race or racial group implications. And so this is like the classic, like only black kid in a classroom surrounded Mm -hmm. by white kids, and the black kid isn't experiencing overt or large forms of discrimination or prejudice, Mm -hmm. but they're still receiving unconscious messages about white culture versus black culture. That super reminds me of the doll test. So there was a test that psychologists did and they put a baby doll, a black baby doll and a white baby doll in front of children of color and then white children as well. And basically asked them like, which one of these is good, which is bad, or which one is beautiful. And which one's ugly, which one do you prefer, which one do you like better? Yeah, and every time they were, I don't I don't want to say every time because that- Most of the time. Most of the time. The black children and the white children chose the white doll with positive characteristics and the black doll for negative ones. Yeah. So I feel like that plays right into this because it's, they don't, how do you know like that at such a young age that like white is right and black is wrong, you know, that's dominant culture values <laughs> seeping and, into your brain. Yeah, just those unconscious messages. Mm-hmm. And that's why we find multiracial advertising so important. Yes, representation matters. Exactly. Anyway, uh, stage two <laughs> is the encounter stage. And this is forced by an event or series of events to acknowledge the impact of racism in one's life and the reality that one can't really be white. So Mm. despite trying to fit into majority culture, um, this is when people or children actually experience discrimination. Okay. Whether it's on a small scale or a large scale, those overt acts and not just subtle unconscious messages like in TV commercials or whatnot, Mm -hmm. but like overheard conversations or confrontations or exclusions um, force them to encounter racism and then focus on their identity as a member of a group that's targeted by racism. Dang. Which we said before is probably at a younger age for people Mm -hmm. of color than white people yep Mm. and then that leads to stage three which is also immersion or emersion and so this is when individuals have a simultaneous desire to surround oneself with visible symbols of one's racial identity and an active avoidance of symbols of whiteness so they actively seek opportunities to explore aspects of one's own history and culture with support of peers from your own racial background so this is kind of like hey I got burned in stage two. Mm -hmm. So in stage three, I'm going to retreat into the safety of my own racial group. Mm -hmm. So I was too hurt by white culture to want to really encounter them or acknowledge them. So I'm going to stay in where I know to be safe and explore my background that way. That sounds like a logical thing to do. Like when you are hurt to retreat back to your own people and like focus on yourself and learn. I think it is good to learn your own history and culture but also because in that place there's like no diversity there's no learning of other cultures and of course we find that valuable as multiracial people as it's not good for white people to stay in shame and guilt it's not good for people of color to stay in a defensive position where they're just trying to 
keep themselves from being hurt. You're right. I get it. And I can't blame anyone. Like, you've been burned. Mm -hmm. You want to stay in what you know to be safe of people who accept you. I agree with you that people can't just exclude. I just, for different reasons. Like, for me, I just think it's unrealistic. Like, we share this world. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's unrealistic for us to just stay in our own separate camps and not interact and then everything will be fine yeah i don't think that's a viable solution Mm -hmm. to institutional racism in america Um, no look at our history (laughs) it has not worked (laughs) which brings us to stage four which is internalization and so that's when people of color are secure in their own sense of racial identity and so pro-black attitudes become more expansive open and less defensive Hmm. and so they're willing to establish meaningful relationships with whites who acknowledge and are respective of one's self-definition so this is Hmm. when people don't use blackness as a defense or a weapon against Uh pro-whiteness or Mm -hmm. anti-blackness and they're willing to develop allies we need it on both sides we do because you can't be an ally with yourself (laughs) (laughs) that's not how relationships work (laughs) in the same way like i think you and i both have encountered from what stories we've shared like we've Mm -hmm. both encountered people who have been stuck in stage three Mm -hmm. of people of color and then people who have been stuck in the shame and guilt of whiteness and how like that's not productive or healthy for either party yeah and so recognizing that that's a stage and that's not a personality Mm -hmm. i think is important it is And so, I lied. This is actually a five-stage model, not a six-stage model. The biracial one is a six-stage model. (laughs) So, the last stage of identity development for people of color is the internalization commitment stage. And that's when people of color find ways to translate their personal sense of blackness into a plan of action or a general sense of commitment to concerns of blacks as a group. And that is people of color's racial identity. And same... Same rules apply. They can go up steps. They can go down steps. Yeah. They can stay on a step. I think it's so interesting with the white people and people of color, when you get to that final stage, how community is integrated. So like you said, with the people of color, you have that commitment to the concerns of black people. Mm -hmm. And like when it comes to white people, it's like when you're reaching out and making allies with other white people and then also pursuing, actively pursuing social justice when you're securing your identity. And those two groups have had their groups for so long that yeah. it makes me curious like what is the last stage of multiracial people of biracial people oh so uh, the biracial people has six stages uh-huh. i double check this time i'm not lying <laughs> <laughs> and so i think you know you and i can relate to this a lot mm-hmm. so the first stage for biracial people is the personal identity stage and that's when children develop a sense of self that's unrelated to any ethnic grouping Mm -hmm. and so that's when they're just ignorant of race in general yeah so that was before (laughs) the little boy told me you don't look like your mom i was just like i'm running around here i don't even think i had the thought to be like i am a white kid it was just like i am here with everybody else exactly so it's (laughs) not like i look like them i am like them it's just we're all here yeah i can relate with that like Mm -hmm. i knew i looked a little different like yeah there were kids who had brown hair but they had fairer skin than i did in Mm -hmm. class or they didn't have as dark of eyes they didn't have like almond shaped eyes like i do Mm -hmm. and like i never saw my dad as asian and my mom as white yeah it's just like oh this is my mom and my dad 
okay, this is what we look like. Mm-hmm. And I knew I didn't look like my mom, but it didn't bother me. And it wasn't something I actively thought about. Yeah. Oh, I was innocence. Like, so sweet. Right. So stage one, personal identity is just sweet, sweet innocence. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then stage two is choice of group. And so as a result of different factors, biracial people feel pressure to choose one racial or ethnic group identity over another. And so the general they feel pressure is either from majority culture or minority culture. Hmm. Oh, man. Right? I'm like in deep (laughs) self-reflection. That might make me cry. (laughs) Because looking back, I'm like, I didn't make a choice. Like, there wasn't a conscious choice in my head Mm -mm. to be like, I will identify as white. But I think when I look back on it, in my adolescence, I think all my actions were choosing white because I did not engage with any and of course I was a kid but I like didn't engage with black culture I didn't have like a lot of black friends to be honest maybe like I would say a handful I straightened my hair we went to Mm -hmm. shout out to my mom because I just recently realized that I should appreciate this about her she did not know what she was doing with my hair so she took me to a black salon to get my hair done by a lady named Ebony (laughs) (laughs) she did a great job for like 18 years even then like I was getting perm I was getting relaxers and straightening my hair. Ooh, that's so, a lot of damage on young hair. Uh, yes. <laughs> and it <laughs> burned. But yeah, so I think, just looking back, I think I chose white until... Well, I'm interested to see what the other stages are, but like, do you know if you consciously made that choice? So I unconsciously chose white because even though I grew up in a super... Like my husband and I, as we talked about, grew up in D.C., even though it was super diverse and like actual numbers-wise, it wasn't like... 90 percent 10 percent like white people minorities it was it was a pretty like 70 30 60 40 split Mm -hmm. so i knew it was okay that i didn't look white but the culture perpetuated by my school system and by the area was still like those unconscious messages Mm -hmm. and so i presented as white but the conscious choice to to choose or present as Asian was a lot more when I spent time with my Asian family of like, oh, no, 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 you do it this way or you say it this way or you act this way. Yeah. Um, And so being told those over messages of how you should act because you are Asian. um, So that was more so what was the choice, which kind of leads to stage three, which is the categorization stage. And that's when choices are influenced by status of groups, parent influence, cultural knowledge and appearance. So stages one and two are more so like childhood Uh and stage three and four are more adolescence, young adulthood. Mm -hmm. And so appearance is a big thing. Like as you go through puberty, like your body changes. And so kids are kind of all little, little sticks. Like they're pretty cartoon shapes. Like they're pretty easy to spot and understand. But Mm -hmm. like as you go through puberty, like your body shape changes and Mm -hmm. different genetic features are triggered and come out and Mm -hmm. so you look different and so like how you pass or don't pass yeah um comes into play i know your parents divorced when you were young Mm -hmm. and my parents divorced when i was young but i switched houses every other day Mm -hmm. so i felt pressure not to choose or to just choose one depending on what house i was at because i didn't want my parents to feel like i was rejecting them by picking one race that they weren't yeah that makes sense. So there's a lot of mixed messages of like, hey, you need to pick one. I'm like, okay, but you're kind of like making me pick one parent over the other. Yeah. And I already do that because they're divorced. Mm-hmm. So this isn't helpful. <laughs> that, 
that makes me think of my own experience where I didn't switch houses every day. I was living with my white mother and I have been told you were raised white before. Mm -hmm. So it's like, even in this stage, in the categorization stage, I kind of see it. I can see where I made the switch, where I stopped identifying either unconsciously or consciously as only white. When I like started to break away from the culture that I was raised in, when I like, was like, you know what? I hate country music. I'm not doing it anymore. I don't want to listen to this. Or I'm tired of getting these freaking relaxers in my hair. I'm going natural. Like, I want to see what that looks like, yeah. even if it's ugly. Because that was my fear for the longest time is that Aww. it was going to suck. <laughs> and you like my hair. beautiful curl pattern. I know. It's <laughs> so lovely and I love it. But for so long, I was like, it's not going to look good. And But I can... But those uh, were the messages that you saw in yeah, TV. Yeah, man. <laughs> Like the doll test. And so that actually brings us to stage four, the enmeshment denial stage. And this is where guilt and confusion arise about choosing an identity that isn't fully expressive of all cultural influences. Mm. So denying differences between racial groups and then possibly exploring identities that weren't chosen in stage two or three. And so that's what you were describing of like, hey, you know what? I've tried to grin and bear it, but like country music sucks. (laughs) And like relaxers burn. Yeah. Like let me explore these other, let me explore other music. And that's probably where you went hard into EDM. Dude, I do love EDM. (laughs) And I think that was all college. You find yourself in college, man. Because that's where I found it. I found my love for EDM and my love to not sit in the freaking salon all day. Ladies, we don't have to do it. Don't do it. Anyway, sorry. That's also where you found me. And that's where our friendship blossomed. Started, blossomed. Uh, Continuing to grow. That's a good stage. That's so stage. college, I would agree. I think college is where I also explored. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I am free of switching houses. I'm free of the guilt of picking one race over the other for how my parents might respond to that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to explore what this means for me. Yeah. And like... Thankfully, I had a lovely roommate who helped support me in, like, letting me cook random Asian food or, like, buy Chinese takeout all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So good. And then stage five, I think, is where you and I are at now, if not at stage six. And stage five is appreciation, and that's where you can appreciate multiple identities, recognize that it's okay to have more than one, Mm -hmm. whether that's the protein identity that we mentioned in episode one Mm -hmm. of you know fluctuating back and forth or that biracial identity of both and all the time Mm -hmm. and so that both and identity actually is stage six of having a sense of your whole self by integrating these multiple identities so protein is like stage five and both and is stage six okay i definitely am still in the stage five appreciation multiple identities because because <laughs> i'm still i think as much as i know i'm protein because yesterday i was in a zumba class and at one part <laughs> there was one song that was very latin and i could not keep up and i was like this is my white side <laughs> 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 it's like, we have no rhythm oh <laughs> uh, but with uh. this it's like and i'm so happy to like see these stages but like i kind of had guessed in the sixth stage there's nothing linking to a community there's like nothing there's a sense of wholeness for oneself but there's not where with the black and with the white there was like now you connect with the community that part is left out i didn't think about that isn't that right (laughs) oh man it's funny that we spent 
we went through the white people identity development stage and the people of color identity development and talked about all the ways we could support and help them. Of yeah. Like, okay, like, these are the ways that we can help white people minimize their shame and guilt and mm-hmm. recognize that there is positive white identity and ways that they can overcome, like, feeling hurt and then acting aggressive or connecting yeah. or creating allies and, like, bridge building and, like, people of color, same thing. of mm-hmm. like, don't close your borders, like... You know, we will support you when it sucks and when it hurts. Yeah. And, like, we can help you also find safe allies. Mm-hmm. And then here we're like, yeah, you go with the natural hair. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, that's it, you know? Like, there are less handholds and footholds for us to create community because we feel pressure from both sides to pick one yeah. or the other. And we can tweet out this summary of the stages that we were going through. It's amazing. But it's a three-column diagram and people of color on the left and white people on the right and biracial people are smack dab in the middle yet there's no community building for virginia at all so there might be like pockets of community you sent me that mixed remix festival it's la it's i think it's only a couple of years old but it's a free two-day festival in la where mixed people come together (gasps) to like write memoirs and just like appreciate loving day and like they have a lot multiracial short films and things like that oh that's so cool but that is like in la like on the west coast it's like a very like far away thing from where we are on the east coast where we are and it's not common like this is the first time i've ever heard of anything like that you know so and that's why i appreciate things like that so i was watching w kamau bell's latest stand-up on netflix Mm -hmm. and he was talking about so he is in a multiracial relationship and has multiracial daughters Mm -hmm. and he was talking about like different sources of media that he exposes his daughters to to help um them build positive racial identity or Mm -hmm. positive like image of themselves and like what they can do but he was talking about this really actually super cool show um, about a little black girl who wants to be a doctor and like her mm-hmm. mom's a doctor and it talks about ways that kids can go to school and learn about those things but it's a black family and I don't know of any TV show that actively builds positive racial identity for multiracial people like one day I want my kids to be able to watch a show and have them understand or learn through books or media to know like hey these are normal experiences and here are ways that you can deal with these pressures mm-hmm. rather than just like mommy said this or like daddy said that you yeah know? Like, yeah i would have appreciated those tv shows as a kid mm-hmm. these things dude and i think that's so uh good to ask for that i'm i'm gonna be honest like even as you were saying it i kind of felt an apprehension of, of like oh but does that stop any other minority group from having their own space or like integrating oh, into why can't we all exactly have our own space? i know and that's what and then i had to i came to that thought and i was like what it, the the space is big enough for all of us yeah. like we've just been told it's like one at a time or like mm. you have your thing and we're gonna allow this and allow that the space is big enough for all of us so all the stories matter representation matters the multiracial experience matters And we need to talk about it and we need to see it and we need to build our community. So at stage six in the future, we have a community to connect to, to contribute to and like help this society be better. Which brings us. (laughs) Yeah. So listeners, this was a lot of information and take time to think about it. But our question of the week is, 
what are ways that we can support your identity development mm -hmm. and how can you support multiracial identity development yeah what needs do you see and how can we meet them yeah so you can email us your responses at we are both and at gmail.com or tweet us at we are both and when you do make sure to let us know which <laughs> which model you identify with so we can have a dialogue about that but we cannot wait to hear from you guys about this feel free to leave us a comment subscribe on our podcast channel on itunes and google play and soundcloud whatever you choose we have it all there for you i hope you had as much fun as we did with this episode yeah. and let's keep the conversation going let's talk about it together until next time